Be part of an innovative fine arts community immersed in a top research university. Carnegie Mellon University's School of Music's world-class vocal department constantly works at the cutting edge of musical art forms. CMU performance faculty are creating projects that leverage musicians' skill sets in unique and applicable ways. Students are challenged to think outside the box as they engage with non-traditional performance spaces, collaboration with electronics, and improvisation, alongside a robust program of traditional studies, languages, recitals, and operas. To learn more about Carnegie Mellon University and to apply, visit the link in the show notes of this episode. This is So Lit Songlit, a production of Cincinnati Song Initiative, where we reimagine the repertoire by introducing less familiar art songs through sound clips and lively discussion. I'm vocal coach Ellen Rissinger. I'm soprano Tony Marie Palmertree. And I'm tenor Zachary Dean Smith. Join us as we explore this exciting repertoire. So lit, so lit, reimagining the repertoire. Today's episode is going to focus on French composer Henri Sauguet. When this music was distributed, I thought to myself, I've never heard of this name. Where <laughs> in the world did you dig and find this composer, Zach? I'm really intrigued about this process. When I began as well, I had never heard of Henri Sauguet, um, which is kind of a shame because I really, as Ellen can attest, I'm a big fan of French music, especially um, at the time that the man was composing. To be quite frank, I simply went online and looked at a, a record of LGBTQ plus composers, uh, which I then wanted to double-check and verify was all accurate information, but Henri Sauguet was one of the men who was mentioned on there. And then I did a deep dive into the various <laughs> different things that he had done, and it is astounding how prolific of a composer he was. Really? Yeah, when I looked at a bibliography of his works, there was over 500 different works that he had done throughout his lifetime. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> And we don't know about him. <laughs> we really don't. I mean, to be fair, um, in his home country, in France, he's a little bit better known. And in the world of ballet, his works are a little bit a little bit more popular. I believe there is 14 or so ballets that he wrote that are performed with some degree of regularity. But for a man who composed over 200 art songs, the fact that he is not part of our standard repertoire for 20th century art song is unbelievable to me. Just ridiculous. Yeah, absolutely. I find them very singable as well. So a more accessible composition opposed to introducing young singers, especially like directly into that impressionistic era. That's so difficult. Mm -hmm. So this is um, very exciting for me because uh, I find that these are much better introduction to French music. Yeah. And they have a little crunch to them, but they're there's a tonality under it. There, it might be a polytonality, but the singing line has a really nice tonality to mm -hmm. it in he, general. He was very much inspired by Satie in his early career, which you can really hear in our first example, Il, a very uh, polytonal sort of song with a strict adherence to rhythm. Oh, Marjola, 
It's just a delightful little piece, and it's one of his earliest works that is uh, published. And I have to say, as a pianist, playing this is so much fun. This mm-hmm. this song specifically, because it's got such... Okay, my, my Denglish is going to come out right now, and I'm going to say it's got such pfiff. It's got, <laughs> it's got this sprightliness to the piano part that just makes me smile. And it's easy, too, right? <laughs> I would, I would not say it's easy. I would say that your fingers have to do some homework on this one. This is a very fingery piece. <laughs> How long, what are his dates? His dates 1909 to 1989. So we're talking, we're talking full on 20th century. Mm-hmm. And that's also, that's 80 years. Yeah. He was composing for almost the entirety of that time period from early in his teens up until the end of his life, it did slow down a little bit as he got older. And in the last 10 or so years, he was a little bit less prolific. But that was partially, um, I think, because of the death of his partner, um, who he worked with on operas. His partner was a scene designer, um, and they worked with on a lot of the uh, operas and ballets um, that they put on together. However, he uh, met sort of who I think is another young beau um, at that time, who sort of re-inspired him to begin writing at the end of his life, which is what has inspired us. He took the poetry of this young beau and set it to music for uh, quite a few of the last sort of cycles and songs that he wrote. Okay. The next song we wanted to talk about was Comme à la lumière de la lune. Mm-hmm. That's a gorgeous setting of a Proust text. It's so melancholy and dark. It's a slightly longer um, piece, but it is setting a prose poem. So you get this full journey of a man observing the uh, a farmyard at night and the sort of loneliness and beauty of that experience. Um, it's one of my favorite pieces that he's written. And with Tony, we have an example called La Ceinture. This piece almost reminds me of like a folk song in a way, because it has a very simple melody for for the voice and and the piano just sort of clips along in 6-8. You know, we're talking about beautiful colors in the sky and, and just when, you know, your eyes can digest how beautiful it is. It's just a sweet little song. Right? Uh, it's, it's sweet, but I feel like the piano part gives it a, a gravitas mm. because it's so dense. Mm. It's so thick and dense and it, it almost... It almost feels Poulenkian mm. to me just because of the way that the thickness of the chords, mm-hmm. even though the chords are not, they're not that Poulenk sort of uh-huh. uh, 
extended harmonic range. I'm glad you mentioned that simplicity because I know that there was a uh, man who was talking when he was talking about the uh, compiled works of this man. He said he never wrote a note that didn't need to be on the page, which coming from the French tradition, which is a little more prone to uh, frills and a little bit more color, is uh, fascinating that this man was so insistent upon writing only the notes that needed to be there and cutting everything that was extraneous. Since you're saying about bibliographies and talking about his life, he does have his own autobiography called Musique Ma Vie, and it is all in French. I have not yet found a translation. I was able to get a copy of it through uh, Interlibrary Loan, and so I have it for the summer. I don't know that I will get through it all because it is not short, <laughs> but it's it's a really good read if, and really good exercise for those of us who want to keep practicing our languages. There you go. Just always a good thing. <laughs> yeah, the man was a writer. He did a substantial amount of um, music reviews as well. The man was just always working. Mm -hmm. um, he was writing critiques of music for the newspaper, writing film scores, writing various different little ensembles. He was ridiculously prolific. I mean, we're also talking 20th century, so he also would have lived through all of the wars that we had in, you know, being in the middle of the whole conflicts in France. And it's quite worth noting that it did hit him quite personally at one point. One of these sort of young friends of a lot of those French composers who got together was a man named Max Jacob, who, um, despite the fact that he did convert to Catholicism later in his life, was born Jewish and was thus taken to the uh, Drancy internment camp. In a fascinating sort of turn of events, a lot of these composers worked very hard to try to get him out of that camp, but unfortunately none of them were actually able to uh, get him out, and he died in there, this uh, young poet. And as a result, we see that Soguet set a collection of his poetry in Visions Infernales, which is a sort of a, a grieving of this young man, of this voice um, that once existed, and I think probably his way of dealing with the guilt of the fact that he could never get this man out of this situation. song cycle that he was a part of is a cycle called Mouvement du Coeur, 
which was an homage to Chopin at the death of Chopin. And Sauguet wrote the first and last movements of that work, and several other composers composed the rest of it. Each of the movements is in a style that Chopin himself composed in. So there's one called Mazurka. So when you look at the the songs in that, it's very interesting. It's for bass or bass baritone and doesn't get done often enough because it is a phenomenal piece of work. So I just wanted to throw that information here in, in with Sauguet. Amazing. Yeah, dig in, people. There's a lot. There is a lot. <laughs> There's a lot. So in in contrast to last week's episode where we said Griffiths' music is all published in separate volumes, or in not even volumes, they're published in separate groupings, this is all published in a book called Henri Sauguet, Mélodie et Chanson. So we have one book that we can send you to. The, the only thing that's not in that book is the Visions Infernales. We'll have that listed separately in the show notes. Actually, one thing we didn't talk about was levels. You said, you said a little bit about this would be a nice Einstieg. Why am I in Deutsch today? <laughs> oh my gosh. When aren't you in Deutsch though? He's going to send me back over there. That's why. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Would be a nice beginner, beginning thing to introduce young singers to French. Absolutely. And with how many, you said 200? 200, uh... 200 different songs. I think about 100 of which are published in that um, Melodie Chanson alone. There's definitely some pieces that are a bit easier. There's definitely going to be some that are going to be something you dig into as you get older. It's sort of a, a mixed batch. There's definitely some more approachable ones and some more uh, challenging ones as well. Great. Wonderful resource for teachers, coaches, and singers. Thank you. Musical clips for this episode were performed by tenor Zachary Dean Smith, soprano Tony Marie Palmertree, baritone Troy Cook, and pianist Ellen Rissinger, and recorded at Morningstar Studios in Norristown, Pennsylvania. Purchase information for the scores discussed in this episode are available in the show notes. Please rate, review, and subscribe to help others find this podcast. Episodes drop every first, third, and fifth Thursday of each month. So Lit, Song Lit is a production of Cincinnati Song Initiative. You can learn more about their network of podcasts at cincinnatisonginitiative.org slash podcasts. Are you craving incredible song recitals? Are you interested in a behind-the-scenes view into professional songmaking at the highest levels of artistry? Are you looking to develop your own artistic and entrepreneurial skills as a classical musician in this ever-changing 21st century landscape? If you found yourself saying yes to any of those questions, look no further than Cincinnati Song Initiative's week-long program, The Fellowship of the Song. Taking place this year from May 19 through 26, The Fellowship brings together some of the country's brightest song performers and teachers for a week of classes, concerts, and study events. And we invite you to join us as an auditor, either in person in Cincinnati or online wherever you may be located. When you join the fellowship as an auditor, you gain instant access to the entire week's events and can go back and relive the magic through HD video recordings of each and every session. To learn more about this incredible new opportunity, visit CincinnatiSongInitiative.org audit.